Story fifteen of the Times Red Cross Story Book by famous novelists serving in His Majesty's forces by various. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story fifteen: The Ghost That Failed by Desmond Coke, Loyal North Lancashire Regiment. The Blue Lady wailed disconsolately in the panelled room. In her mortal life, four hundred years before, she had always been somewhat behind the times and now she was in arrears by the space of a whole silly season she was grappling with the stale problem do we believe the blue lady concluded emphatically that we did not believe and hence her wailing she had seen the age of scepticism coming for more than three hundred glad years men had crossed themselves and shuddered when she went moaning through the sombre rooms of ucraft hall secure in her reputation she had been content once only in the evening to interrupt the revelry and then conscious that all eyes had been upon her stately progress to seek contentedly her spectral couch but with the growth of science had risen also disbelief once stage-coaches were discarded and people came to ucroft by a steam-drawn train she felt that any other marvel must lose caste she did not fail to observe that as she passed along the rooms there were those who though they trembled would not turn and made pretence of not observing her then came the hideous day on which the hall harbored a deputation from a society of research who loaded themselves with cameras dull books and revolvers before spending a night in the panelled room the blue lady as became a self-respecting ghost slept elsewhere and would not show herself to these ill-mannered creatures so that next day the press declared the famous ewcroft ghost to be a myth this was terrible but far worse was to come the family who had held ewcroft since feudal times the blue lady's own family showed with old age a preference for sleep and inasmuch as an ungrateful populace refused to pay them for this function reduced means led to the abandonment of ewcroft it was taken by lord silthirsk who had made tinned meat and a million by methods equally ambiguous he turned the moss-hung chapel into a garage and fitted electric light throughout the hall the blue lady struck in every vulnerable part resolved to drive the silkirks out for the first three days of their residence she missed no chance of floating in on lady silthirsk at moments likely to embarrass her her ladyship showed no symptoms of annoyance or of fear though sometimes if not alone she would look up and say oh here's that blue one again in tones which the blue one took to be of terror cleverly concealed on the fourth day the silthkirks had a niece to stay and the blue lady embraced this as a chance to learn what real impression she had made waiting till dessert was on the table so that her ladyship might not think it necessary to hide her fear before the servants she swept into the dining-room and passed close beside the niece elfrida shuddered what was that she cried what's what asked her aunt while her uncle said banana and fell to his dessert again no uh, something cold it made me shudder just as if something had gone by the blue lady ambushed behind a vast tool-leathered screen gloated over her success 
oh that said lady Silkers. that's one of the fixtures a spook we rather like her it's so picturesque and old world ain't it some people can see her i always can she's blue quite an inoffensive mauvey blue oh i distinctly like her she's a novelty you know and she'll be so cooling in the summer but even she started at the ghastly groan which issued from behind the leather screen for some weeks the blue lady did not deign to show herself until lady silthurst began to find fault the landlord she implied had swindled her it became clear to the spectre that all hopes of driving out these upstarts by terror had been idle dreams and now on christmas eve the night dedicate of old to her compatriots she had given herself up to despair she did not even care to walk she wailed disconsolately in the panelled room it was thus that the gaunt baron found her the gaunt baron did not belong to yewcroft but was attached to a neighbouring house now empty with nobody to terrify at home he found visits to the blue lady a not unpleasing variant of the monotony except that she was several centuries his junior he felt for her an emotion which went to a dangerous degree beyond respect he was pained to find her wailing what wailing he cried coming on her through the oaken panels and nobody to hear you the blue lady raised a tortured face towards him who would not wail and who should hear me fools they cannot hear me many of them do not even see me bah they have no sense except the sense of taste with truffles before them they see nothing else well to-night is christmas eve the gaunt baron made the suggestion in a mild kindly way but the blue lady turned upon him almost angrily as though he had been the culprit yes to-night is christmas eve and what are they doing where is the yule log where is the wassail where the dim light of glowing embers they'll sit in the glare of this new light of a big party and play what they call bridge and if they feel a mystic chill will draw the curtains or turn the hot air pipes full on what do these fools know about romance the word is dead i saw some of their novels while the house was shut love gallantry nowhere in the volume a knock-kneed weakling making love to his friend's wife or two infants puling of passion like mere vulgar serfs love for these people ends with marriage to begin again after divorce you are bitter the gaunt baron held his head beneath his arm a fact which gave to all his utterances something of the tone of a ventriloquist bitter so would you be bitter it's all very well for you with the manor empty but me with these vulgarians baron these mortals are beating us we're pretty well played out played out look at our very speech they've ruined that do i speak like a woman of the day of good queen bess do you speak like a baron of of king like an ancient baron you do not and it was stephen said the baron quietly mark me baron you are near the end either lady selkirk's or myself leaves you croft there is no room here for a self-respecting spectre they use the headman's block for mounting on their horses if i cannot drive them out i go and where well if i cannot leave the earth oh why was i ever murdered 
then i must sleep beneath the hedges till i find an empty house baron that time is near i have tried everything and nothing seems to frighten them lady selkers serves liqueurs in the old banquet hall at midnight and as i don't appear as though i should she says the theatre is closed for alterations and repairs oh it is unbearable unbearable dear lady answered the gaunt baron do not despair i managed to say some minutes ago that it was christmas eve let me explain it is now close upon the hour of midnight the time and day on which we ghosts are thought by men to have our greatest power even those who don't believe in us are a little influenced by the tradition as twelve strikes every one is half expectant that is your moment burst upon them wailing and raving they are sure to see some of the guests will insist on leaving Ucroft, and the silthursks will not like a house where parties are impossible quick there is the gurgle that precedes the hall clock striking in three minutes midnight will be here hasten sweet dame hasten i will be at hand to watch you downstairs during this dialogue lady silthurst had been talking to her niece elfrida dear in a few minutes they'll all be here for the midnight seance and i have something that i want to tell you first why what is it auntie asked elfrida you look terribly serious i am serious darling girl let me be frank i think it is time that you were married not only understand because of your poor parents but also for your own happiness and when i see a man who can make you both rich and happy well but who interrupted elfrida who my dear girl are you blind why bobby lord bancourt yes lord bancourt don't look as though i had shot you why you silly dear thing you must know bobby is madly in love with you all this week he has followed you about like an obedient dog and all the week you've ignored him as though he were a naughty mongrel why i'm sure i've treated him just like anybody else i never-my dear elfrida you will be the death of me do you think he wants no more of you are you living in the middle ages or is this the twentieth century do you expect him to come and steal you away by night and force nowadays the girl must do her part bobby is a splendid fellow an old friend of mine rich young passably good-looking i think he's handsome decidedly elfrida said without a thought and then blushed scarlet her aunt laughed and i think you're in love with him she said i know he only wants a little encouragement not quite so much ice to the square inch my dear won't you try for my sake i'll try auntie yes i could be very happy with him if he asked me but i don't think i could it's so hard lady selthurst kissed her i don't ask anything you little goose except that you should be just humanly kind to poor bobby i think he'll do the rest i'll try said elfrida dubiously her aunt she reflected was not of a nature to see how terrible it would be if people should believe her to be angling for lord bancourt better that he could choose some one else than he should marry her on such a rumour oh here they are cried lady silthurst as her husband brought his flock into the room shouting 
i've collected every one gamblers and all for the seance except bobby can't find him oh i wish he were here the lady will surely walk on christmas eve said the hostess if she doesn't i mean to demand my money back oh there's the hour say quiet every one blue lady forward please there look there she pointed excitedly at the old gallery once for minstrels now arrogated by a pianola organ behind its oaken pillars passed a vague female figure dressed in blue moaning horribly and waving distraught arms above her flowing hair immediately cries of every sort rose from the watchers i can't see her it's a cinematograph what ho lord bobby gad she's gone slick through the music-stool i still can't see her no there's nothing there do a cake-walk now encore as she vanished someone clapped his hands and with a laugh the whole party joined in the applause the scene had not been very impressive from a theatrical point of view the ghost's entrance had been ruined by the number and the temper of its audience those who had not seen it scoffed those who had till reminded of the music-stool seen dimly through the figure half believed the blue lady to be an alias of lord bancourt then as one by one they realized that what had passed was in very truth a ghost the guests hushed their laughter until the babble sank almost into silence it was in such a lull that bobby entered why what a stony seance he exclaimed missing me or seen a ghost yes so delightful the blue lady actually came said lady silthurst who alone seemed totally unruffled bobby laughed the unforced laugh of healthy youth oh ho i see why you were silent but you can't green me thanks i'm not quite so verdant oh no not at all we have seen it really one or two guests hastened to assure him lord bancourt laughed more heartily than ever why i believe you've honestly deceived yourself this is glorious you really think you saw the ghost who could doubt asked a plump dowager who intended henceforth to adopt a pose intensely spiritual what doubt exists when the great after lifts its veil have you ever seen a ghost lord bancourt bobby tried to hide his smiles i'm afraid and glad i haven't if i did i should go off my nut i think but i don't think i ever shall with these words he moved towards the circle of ghost-seers and chose with unerring aim of all the vacant chairs that next elfrida lady silthirsk beamed contentedly i seem to have missed a lot said the irrepressible bobby as he sat down and added impudently but i hope that i've been missed a lot elfrida remembered her aunt's warning but she also fancied as the self-conscious will that all the gathering still somewhat silent had heard the question and would hear the answer she could fancy their scorn at her scheming tactics bobby looked expectantly towards her it was certainly a unique experience she said stiffly bobby's face fell lady silthirsk shrugged her shoulders there exclaimed the blue lady safe within the panelled room i knew how your mad scheme would work you heard they catcalled they encored me asking for some new dance they gave me a round of applause when i went off 
I can stay here no longer. To be insulted!" "Always impetuous," said the Gaunt Baron quietly. "You rushed off after the applause. I waited, and heard what alters the whole question." "Namely?" asked the lady, in ill temper. "Lord Bancourt did not see you; has never seen a ghost; doesn't believe in them. He said distinctly, 'If I saw one, I should go off my nut'—this being schoolboy and smart for going mad." "I begin to see." The Blue Lady brightened visibly. "Exactly. You must catch him alone. No more of these convivial audiences. And then drive him mad. He is an old friend of Lady Silthirsk, rich and titled. She would not stay here after that. You must wreak your worst on him." "'I can only wail,' she answered gloomily. "'I have no chains or blood or severed head.' The words inspired the headless baron. "'Ah!' he cried. "'I will come and help. Tonight. I ought not to show myself out of my own house, but—oh, what is etiquette in such a crisis? Baron, dear Baron, you have saved me. I am an old-fashioned woman, and at such time I need a man.' It was night. It had, to be precise, been night for several hours, and the whole household was at length tucked up in bed. Sleep had come none too easily to at least three members, to Elfrida worrying about the real sentiments of Bobby, to Bobby worrying about the real sentiments of Elfrida, and to Lady Silthirsk worrying about the real sentiments of both. The last named, in particular, tossed long upon her sleepless bed. She was puzzled. She could half understand Elfrida's foolish diffidence. She could not understand Bobby's idiotic silence. Why did he not speak? He was not of a sort to be lightly daunted by the fear of a rebuff. Or had she made a false diagnosis? Was he not in love at all? And at length even she turned over on her side with a contented groan. Sleep reigned over Yewcroft Hall. But in Bobby's room, far off along the west wing, dark deeds were decidedly afoot. For more than half an hour a headless knight, clanking horribly in every joint of his dim gleaming armour, had chased to and fro a blue-clad lady who wailed in awful wise and tossed arms of agony to the wall-papered ceiling. Through all this Lord Bancourt slept smilingly upon his noble bed. Then the gaunt baron consulted with the blue lady, and a change of tactics was the result. The armoured figure now rattled round the room, rousing more noise than any antiquated motor, the while a frantic dame pursued him with blood-curdling wails. Bobby stirred a little, murmured sleepily, turned over, and showed every symptom of having relapsed into even deeper slumber. The ghosts were in despair. "'Dawn draws on,' said the gaunt baron suddenly. "'I always knew when I was beaten.' "'Come, sweet dame, a man who can sleep like that will make his mark some day in the House of Lords.' He vanished, and after one despairing glance, the blue lady flung herself angrily through the oaken door. It was at this moment, by a subtle irony of fate, that Lord Bancourt awoke. The sense of some presence lingered with him, and he sat upright in bed. His sleepy eyes were caught by a blue skirt which vanished from the doorway his sleepy mind failed to perceive that the door had not been open whew he said and lay thinking thinking deeply for lord bancourt 
he was very young and like most young nobles not inclined to underestimate his own importance after the first moment of surprise he felt no doubt as to the wearer of the blue skirt it was elfrida he was rather unobservant as to women's dresses and all that you know but he felt fairly certain that she had worn a blue costume at dinner yes it could be no one else it was almost certainly elfrida elfrida's iciness was but a cloak when she had snubbed him by day she would creep by night and gaze upon his sleeping moonlit face how beautiful his heart thrilled at the revelation he had hesitated so far to speak it would never do for him lord bancourt to risk refusal by a nobody his mother in her long course of tuition had taught him proper pride but now now at the first chance he would throw himself his rank his wealth his everything before the nobody and feel no fear as to the verdict to-morrow to-morrow and when to-morrow came as it does sometime come despite the proverb he rose early and went out in the garden as he had shaved each morning he had seen elfrida walking in the grounds below he had never dared to join her everything to-day was different though the weather was certainly absurdly cold for early rising she was there before him in among the white hoar-laden yule-walks she turned at his coming you are early this morning lord boncourt ah he responded meaningly the early bird catches the first worm it struck him for a moment as a compliment and rather neat but he pined for something less definite elfrida he said going close to her i may call you elfrida i could not wait you encouraged me last night and you gave me hope and now i want more you won't take even that away i want far more i want you i want you to be my wife will you elfrida don't be cruel i want you to say yes elfrida's head was in a whirl she did not know how she had encouraged him she could remember nothing of last night except that she had lost a chance that he had seemed offended she could not guess at what had changed his attitude she only knew that what her aunt wanted above all what she herself longed for had somehow come to pass only knew that her loved one's arms were round her she said yes sweet dame said the gaunt baron later in the panelled room i have been scouting and alas bring evil news lord boncourt took you last night for elfrida was encouraged to propose and is accepted lady silthirx is delighted says the wedding shall be here and she must turn this dear chamber into a dressing-room she says she will clear out the musty panelling it is all unfortunate unfortunate wailed the blue lady it all comes of listening to a man see what your mad scheme has done baron forgive my bitterness i am defeated i told you these mortals had vanquished us i set out to do a little evil in the good old way and see what i have done i have made everybody happy farewell you croft must know me no more farewell farewell forever with an abysmal groan she vanished through the panelling 
unless she has found an ancient empty house, she is perhaps sleeping underneath the hedges. End of story 15